welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Faces in the room as well. You're really, really welcome. My name is David. I'm part of the leadership team here, along with um, Steph, who was hosting, and, and the rest of our team. And so, if you are new, I want to extend a really warm welcome to you. I want to kind of talk about a few things um, just before we jump into our second talk of our series. Um, and I'll get to that in a moment. But before summer, we um, had a big table Sunday downstairs, if you remember, and. Before long, we will be downstairs again through this winter. Um, hopefully, the last winter that we're actually doing that. Um, and we had a we, we shared a few things that we were kicking off or hoping to kick off this year. And we want to talk about a few of them today, and then we're going to talk about a few of them next week as well. Um, I suppose uh, in we, the last year, it seems like there's been a lot of stuff happening in Redeemer Life, which has been really wonderful. But it could be summed up really well as um, activity, justice, serving, all that kind of justice stuff that we're doing. Things have kind of sprung up to life from our community as we've tried to be, um, as, as we kind of talk about um, working for the peace and common good of our city. And we've seen things like Stand Play, which is now one one Tots, begins tomorrow. We've seen the long table. Um, we've seen uh, our farm box ministry go from kind of strength to strength under Ian and Libby's leadership. Um, and we still have our storytelling events, Lesser Heard. We had two excellent ones um, over the last year. And um, all that's going on. And then we continue to gather here on Sundays. I'm going to put up a slide with two wee circles, Gav. Because we used to use this language, gather and go. Maybe, does anyone remember the days when we used to talk about gather, give, go every week? I'm going to reuse that this morning because it's a really good way to talk about what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. So if we put up the next one, I guess the question we're trying to answer maybe is how do we actually sustain our lives as Christians? How do we grow? Have you ever thought about that? We're kind of busy um, tending to the, a, a life of the church. Um, it seems like that's been the focus. Um, and we gather every week and worship here, and we're going and we're serving those projects. But what about your soul? What about growing in Christ? What about support and encouragement and all of those kinds of things, prayer, scripture, and all of that. So we're kind of giving thought to that, and we shared a little bit before the summer. Um, another way we talk about this is the intimacy in action kind of thing here, which is that idea that two sides of the same coin, worship and justice, or intimacy with God and action for God, you know, being with Jesus, and then being like Jesus and doing the things that Jesus did. We talk about practicing the way of Jesus. What does that actually really mean? So a couple of things I want to talk about this morning. The first is mentoring. You maybe remember this. Um, It's an opportunity that we're kind of creating for one-on-one discipleship. This is not for everyone. This is a total like opt-in, but we just want to kind of create it and give resources into our community for those who are hungry for a way to walk alongside someone else. Um, so this is one-on-one. This is two people um, committing together to walk. And we've got a resource called Safar, S-A-F-A-R. I'll not go into it now because it's on the website. Um, but it, it is like a, it's a, it's a resource with 30 kind of biblical steps that just help to 
I suppose, facilitate that kind of relationship, a journeying together, walking with Jesus, um, and looking at what that really means. Um, it's simple, um, and it's kind of over to you. If, if that's the kind of thing you would love to do, you'd really love to sit down and talk about faith and prayer and the Bible and, and all this kind of stuff with someone who's maybe a little bit further ahead of you as a Christian or what can I call them this mentoring? So some of you in this room might actually think that you'd love to mentor someone else in this. It is a mutual thing. You get a lot out of it. But there's going to be someone who maybe want to mentor another person. And there's maybe some people in this room who maybe feel like, I'd love to be mentored by someone, maybe at a different life stage than me or someone else. So that's what mentoring is. And we can talk more about that. If you're interested, come and speak to me or Steph or Dan or any of our leadership team, Scott, Naomi, John and Ian, and we can talk more about it with you. Um, but I just want to kind of put it out there and say you can go to the website behind me and register your interest. As I say, this can happen anytime. You could decide in January, here, do you remember that thing called mentoring? I'd love to do that with such and such. It's just out there in the ether. The second thing then is learning groups, um, which we're going to talk about. These are kind of small, kind of six to eight week discussion groups that are going to explore faith, encouraging curiosity, and engaging our questions. And we talked about some of the topics that we'd like to facilitate deep discussion groups about. So that's whether that's understanding scripture, whether that's sexuality and inclusion, uh, whether that's the big questions of, of, of love, hope, salvation, hell, all of that kind of stuff, um, whether it's relationships, um, prayer. We've got five or six different topics that we'd love to kind of make space for over the next nine months at some point. Um, so this is like an opportunity now, you can do this now, to go on like register your interest. Just go onto that website, look at those topics, and just, it's very simple form, there's nothing to do other than just say, I, I'm up for like something like that, I'd love to do eight weeks on that topic, and it will kind of give us an idea of what topics people are buzzing about and what aren't, and we'll kind of set those up. We might get the one in before the end of this year, but most likely at this point, it's looking like we will um, get them in very early in 2024. So those are the two things I want to talk about, mentoring and learning groups. Totally opt-in and live on the website, redeemercentral.com slash grow. If you're interested in any of that, go to the website, register your interest, and we will take it from there. If there's no interest, nothing will happen, so that's fine. Just want to like make this available for us. Um, I'll very quickly speak about a series, and I'm not going to get into it, called Practicing the Way. Starting in November, we're going to begin a new teaching series called Practicing the Way. Nine practices that help root us in God as we serve uh, the world and our world. So Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude, scripture, community, simplicity, generosity, hospitality. And we're gonna it's going to take a, a, quite a while to go through all of that. We're going to journey as a church through that, and we're going to take some breaks from it. Um, but it might be like a year, maybe a year and a half. Who knows? We're going to take it as it comes. But those, that's where we're going as a church. We kind of want to like put that stuff into our community, that stuff that's going to help deepen us in God and deepen our relationships to one another. I'm going to tease one more thing, and then I'm going to jump into the sermon, which is table groups. People are asking about table groups, what's happening with tables. Um, they're we're going to begin these in October. I'm going to talk more about that next week. Um, Steph's going to be speaking about church's family, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week. But we are going to launch tables again in October. Um, we really want to emphasize, try to really <clears throat> um, invest in and emphasize table groups uh, in, the, <clears throat> in the autumn fall, in the autumn 
in the autumn, in autumn. <laughs> I need a drink of water. I've got a drink of water. It's okay. I forgot I drink the water. <clears throat> so I'll not say any more about that, but it is coming. Um, great. What kind of church? A series exploring the values that shape our community. Next one up there, Gavin. We're going through these one by one. We're doing these for six weeks. Last week, I talked about how we're a Jesus-centered church. Uh, today, ancient future rooted. Next week, family gathered, grace saturated, spirit filled, and kingdom oriented. And we've taught this before. We wanted to do it again as we begin a new season of church life. Um, there's so much going on in our lives. I hope this morning there's going to be something for everyone in this because um, there's values and who we are as a community. And that can be kind of heady. It's really exciting. It's good to shape us as a church. What are we really building here? What kind of church are we? And this really speaks to that, and um, we're refining it as we go, but if you're coming in this morning and you need something from the Lord, I trust the Spirit will have something for us to nourish us as well. So let's get into that. I nearly said have a chat with the person beside you, but you've already done that, so... On April 15th, I've talked about this before as well, you'll remember Notre Dame was on fire. I remember watching it on TV, the old beautiful church building, and the people of Paris were devastated, gathering around the church. Do you remember that? Maybe you maybe remember that. And it was in flames, and for hours and hours and hours, the city was gripped. The world was gripped, watching it on TV. And there were actually was were vigils that appeared in Paris. People began to gather and find solidarity with one another because Our Lady was on fire. Our Lady was on fire. That's what they call Notre Dame. Watching, praying, singing songs around this burning church, hoping that the fire crews could save the building. And it engulfed the building and was devastating, but due to the bravery of those fire crews, most of it was saved. I think the spire... Uh, and most of the roof were damaged or destroyed. Miraculously, nobody was injured. No one was killed, as far as I remember. Um, uh, you know my favorite pastor here, I look up to, Brian Zand. He describes that event as a modern-day parable. And this is why, because Paris is actually at the epicenter of the modern Western world. And it's the epicenter of Western secularism. And so day by day by day, modern Parisians would walk by Notre Dame and not even notice it. Sh shoulder shrugging indifference, because it's just part of the city. Um, yet it, when it caught on fire, it sparked something in them. Grief, singing, watching, weeping, perhaps not many really understanding why is modern day people living in Paris, the middle of the secular West, don't care about religion or faith a lot of, a lot of the time, one of the most secular countries in the world. Why, why do I emote <laughs> why, about this old church building? It's on fire and a place that maybe they had paid little attention to, wonder what's going on with that, and that's why um, my friend Brian um, calls it a modern-day parable, because change is difficult, change and uncertainty are difficult for us in general, 
and we love certitude and we love security. That's just a given. We just that's the way we operate and are wired. And no doubt the grief and emotion um, from that had an impact on those Parisians. The changing landscape, imagine a, a landscape without Notre Dame. It speaks to something deeper. And of course, there is an irony there because these modern Parisians going about their business day by day would never have really maybe paid much attention to it. But here is the thing that all of us, no matter if we have faith or if we don't have faith, we have an ache inside of us for something more, for something sacred, a sense that some things are sacred and that there's more to life than what is just visible. Um, the, sec- the secular, pragmatic, utilitarian view would say, it's just a building, it's just bricks and mortar, we can build another one. Um, sure, it can be rebuilt, what's the fuss? And even the most skeptical prison that day perhaps reacted in a way to say, no, this is not just bricks and mortar. This is connects us to something deeper about who we are as Parisians, um, something that transcends our current age, something that reaches back into history to give us a sense of place and meaning, and there's more to it than meets the eye. And I could go on further and further and further. And a modern-day parable sums up how maybe this modern-day parable perhaps sums up how most of us feel in our lives. Um, even if we don't have a Notre Dame on fire, we maybe have proverbial Notre Dames on fire all around us, perhaps. And it's that ache for, no, this is meaningful, this matters. Um, armed with the ability to travel anywhere, we have so much freedom and information uh, at our fingertips. The story that we are invited into day, daily uh, on Instagram, if you pull out your phone now, that story will invite you in to spend, to travel, and to self-act, to, to spend money on things that will make us happy and free us from that restraint that those previous generations had to deal with. Maybe our parents or our grandparents who were held back actually just in fact, just Steph and I were talking on Friday as we caught up about some of the struggles that w- women have had, for example, in the traditions of the 20s, going way back. The, the, the thing, the, the restraints that were really not right. There's incredible amounts of ways in which we're kind of breaking through a lot of that, and we feel so much freedom today, and that is to be celebrated, absolutely celebrated. French anthropologist Mark Og even describes many of our modern-day buildings, airports, shopping complexes, coffee chains, as these kinds of non-places that are disconnected from any sense of place or meaning. Um, Some of you, unfortunately, had to spend more hours than you would wish in airports and Starbucks in airports, the green belters who were stuck there. But you know those kinds of places where they just, they're transient, you pass through them, there's no real... You wouldn't necessarily describe them as sacred, perhaps. Um, we're not immune to that story. That story of no restraint, go anywhere, spend, use, travel. We're not connected to anything. We can just like enjoy our lives, self-actualize and all of that. As Christians, we're not immune to that story. We're shaped by it, as I said, even on our Instagram feeds and on our news screens. We, we get advertised all sorts of stories that we're invited into. Um, ever wonder why it's really hard to be a Christian? Anyone feel like it's hard to be a Christian at any point? Honestly, hands up. It's kind of because of that, I really believe. I feel like 
we're swimming. And I know it's like a, a trope that is churned out in churches all the time, but it is like we're kind of swimming against the current. It is like that. You know, you're, you're, you're really invited to just care about yourself a lot of the time if you believed the dogma of the advertising that comes at us. And there's surely more than the bricks and mortar. Surely more than that to life. Surely there is meaning and connection than we can get into. Even when our faith isn't working, we still have that ache. There's something more to life. And the scriptures have something to say about that. And Jeremiah 6, 16 is a really great verse that sums this up. And it'll be on the screen behind us. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. What a beautiful passage. And it speaks to the kind of church that I believe that we want to be here. A church that isn't just making it up as we go along. A church that is moving forward, but a church that is anchored in something deeper, something truer, something that has something to say about place and identity and history and the faith that we inherit. We don't get to make the faith up, but we can move into the future if our roots are deep. And that's what that, that's what it means to be an ancient future church rooted, an ancient future rooted church. That's what it means. It means to move forward but have roots that go deep. That we're not just making this up, but that we live and occupy the God story, which has something true about it that is perennial, that goes way beyond us. I actually, when I think about this, day to day, I'm influenced by those Instagram ads and I just want to kind of cut loose <laughs> and do that. But really, I think we're a generation who longs to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And we just don't quite know how to do that at times because institutions have let us down and we distrust institutions. And yet there's still that sacred ache Something is alive, a light in your life, the Notre Dame, and you go, there's something more to this life. Something that is meaningful and sacred, and I need to kind of tether myself to that. I believe that that verse in Jeremiah is kind of talking about that, and it's what it means to be an ancient future rooted church. The story of God and indeed the wisdom of God tells us that the road to the future runs through the past. Let me say that again. The story of God and indeed the wisdom of God tells us that the road to the future runs through the past, that we're located in a story, that we're not making this up. We don't make Christianity up, that we get to receive it and then we get to embody it and enflesh it and live moving forward into it and see it come to life. Stories matter. In three months, some of you will put a six-foot Nordic tree in the corner of your living room and it will mean nothing in July, but in December it will be loaded with meaning. And no one will question the fact that you have a six-foot Nordic tree in the corner of your living room. You will decorate it with lights because it is full of narrative, full of meaning. It's a signifier, a symbol of something that we're celebrating, Christmas. Red, white, and blue are colors, but when they're on curbstones, they kind of signify something that means something deeper, connected, truer. 
green, white, and gold the same, just colors, but then they're not just. There's more to life. There's meaning and story. They're like GPS coordinates, these symbols in our lives, Notre Dame. These are coordinates that help us to navigate the world. Otherwise, we're just moving through airport-like space connected to nothing. They tell us who we are. They tell us where we're coming from, and they tell us where we're going to. It's why stories matter more than anything else in the world. And it's why working for the peace and common good of our city, that storytelling is really, really important. It's why lesser heard, for example, is really important. What we do on Sundays is really important. What we gather around our tables to tell stories is really important. Because stories matter. Without a story, we would struggle to live and survive. Story provides the framework for our lives. Alistair McIntyre says this, I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I can answer the question of what story do I find myself a part of? Hopefully it's on the screen now. I can only answer the question, what I am to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself part of? We're wired to tell stories. It's like the ability to, to storytell is like hardwired into our brains as humans. Keeping the story as our guiding light. And for many of us, as we seek to follow Jesus and make sense of our faith and our lives, we often get pulled down by these technical aspects of the story. They're important, but we get pulled down into the Greek and the Hebrew and we forget the beautiful story that we're part of, the ancient future story that we're part of. N.T. Wright says this, throw a rule book at people's heads or offer them a list of doctrines and they can duck or avoid it or simply disagree and go away. Tell them a story though and you can invite them to come into a different world. You invite them to share a worldview or better still, a God view. We have the privilege, as N.T. Wright says, of living and acting in the beautiful story of God's great redemption. He's making all things new. Despite what we see on our new screens and in our lives, we trust that this story is going somewhere beautiful, that the telos is reconciliation and peace and one with God, our neighbor, our earth. It's the beautiful, beautiful story. And unless we are players within the final act of that story of hope and resurrection, we are in danger, just like anyone else, of becoming influenced and drawn along by the narratives and stories that our society tells. Those are the stories that would say, you've got you to gotta have suspicion about that kind of person. Or you can't trust that kind of person. You should look after number one, or you should, you know, get on the property ladder as quick as possible. Or you know the millions of stories you're kind of constantly being fed every single day. They really influence us. And yet the modern master story that we live in and occupy as Christians says there's a hope for this world. There's a hope for this world. John Dominic Crossan, who he describes the 20th and 21st century postmodern world, and he describes it quite brutally. And he says that it's like there's no lighthouse keeper in the lighthouse. That there's no dry land 
that existence is like people living on rafts made from their own imaginations, and there is the sea. And this is where there's just my story, and then that's when it ends. Our stories are sacred and beautiful and precious, but our stories are connected to something truer and deeper. And if it's just our story full stop, it's like drifting along an open sea on a raft. And those stories can eventually break down. That the hope is promised. That as we watch towers fall and bombs explode and earthquakes shake, that the hope breaks down. We realize that our stories ask more questions than they're capable of giving answers for. And we feel this deep ache like the Parisian gazing upon the Notre Dame, Our Lady on Fire. The deep ache. And we realize that there's an authentic story after all that we want. And we have an authentic story if we only can look closer. And it's not one of lists or facts or statements, but it's one of a gracious and intimate God who invites us into his walking story to walk with him from beginning to end, a story with rifts of grace and hope and salvation and resurrection. With systematics, we reduce the resonance to echoes. The delay fades far too quickly, but the cavernous vault of the narrative itself, the big story of God, gives space for the echoes to eternally bounce, reminding us of who we are, where we are going, and more importantly, that we are not lost. That bit was not me. That was John Dominic Crossan. Who's a music lover in this room? Hands up. Anyone like jazz? The beautiful thing about jazz, some of you will be able to tell me more about jazz than I know, is the improv. There's improvisation. There's the structure of musical theory and the scale that you need to know. But once the jazz player kind of gets beyond that, all sorts of things happen. You know it to be true. It's kind of like us as Christians. We are tethered to something ancient, like the the scale, the musical theory, the musical notes, the scale, pentatonic scales, all of that stuff is like the kind of story that we live in, and yet there is this opportunity for us to live into the future kind of take that and run with it, to improvise upon it and to create something that has never been heard before that is beautiful and true. Can, you le- can I let you into a secret? I've kind of grown a little bit tired with, you know, like innovation church, innovative church, <laughs> you know, and I've been part of that kind of church and I've been part of that kind of, but you know that kind of like, every, let's make everything dumb and relevant and <laughs> about this thin. Anyone, like, I understand how we got there, you know, particularly within evangelicalism, but I'm kind of tired of it. I really long for something deeper and truer. I really want to sit with the Anabaptists and learn from them. I want to sit with the Eastern Orthodox and learn from them. I want to learn about the history of my ancient roots of this faith that I'm living in. I remember growing up in the Baptist church in Newton Ards, and it was a, a brilliant upbringing in a lovely church, conservative Baptist church, and I remember those times when I first kind of pulled out the, the guitar and started to sing those uh, love songs to Jesus, which I still love to sing, and I remember the, uh, 
some of the folks just kind of hankering back to the, we don't want this, we want the good old days. And I think they were absolutely right. They just didn't go back far enough. They just wanted to go back to the 1950s. I kind of want to go back 2,000 years. I want to immerse myself in something long and deep and true. I don't want to settle for the 1950s. I don't even want to settle for the 1990s, although I love that song this morning that we sang from the 1990s. Come now, it's the time to worship. I think, there's, I think we kind of can, can we kind of agree there's something, an ache that we want, and it, something deeper, something truer, and at Redeemer, that's what we're kind of trying to do. It's the kind of church, we're trying to cultivate a space here in Belfast where we're a, a, a church centered on Jesus and rooted, but living, in, like, out, working about improv into the future. And it, all of this informs our, our faith, it informs our worship. It's why we sometimes use some liturgy and pray, and it's also why we sing songs with guitars, and we kind of just want to embrace all of it. And it's kind of disorienting to some people. It's like, what are you? Like, are you Pentecostal? Are you, what are you? We don't understand sometimes what is informing what we do, but we want to learn from all of it, the different traditions in the church, the liturgical, the contemplative, the creedal, the charismatic roots that have given life, the streams in the church that have given life to it, some of you in this room are Presbyterian, some of you are Catholic, some of you are Pente- Pentecostal, some of you are brought up in all different kinds of traditions, and yet here we are, and we can gather to worship together. It's a beautiful thing. And all of that is at play in Redeemer, this ancient faith giving us a sense of the story, even the story of the church. It's, it's why we pray the creeds, and we're going to pray one as we come to the table in just a moment. And our worship helps us rehearse this story. It's why we sing. We, we Intimacy with the Lord, yes, but when we actually re- pray, when we give ourselves over to the liturgy, when we give ourselves over to the songs, we kind of get to rehearse, get to be retold the story, because we do forget. We forget the story. It's one of the most beautiful things about Christian worship, but it's not just about the feels. It's actually making us into a people. And we kind of surrender to that. It's why we come to church when we don't feel like it. It's a bit like going to the gym when you don't feel like it. You don't feel like it, but you know that it's, it's good for you. And the church, worship, spiritual practices, these are ways, ancient ways, that we can be formed, as we talk about every week, in the way of Jesus. And I believe it sustains us to do the justice stuff. Like Curtis preached during, I think it was August, we'll just burn out. We'll burn out if justice is the agenda, if it's a justice-centered church or any other agenda for that matter, we will just burn out. But if it's a Jesus-centered church, there will be a beautiful hot fire at the center and we will have such a rich imagination for all the works of the kingdom that we are called to in this city, in this time, and in this place. So to the future, I say, with the cloud of witnesses around us, like we read about in Hebrews 11, to the future, anchored and rooted in the story of God with the ancient prayers, practices, and tradition. It is rootedness that is the tonic for the disorientating modern malaise that we find ourselves in. Let me say that again. It is rootedness that is the tonic for the disorienting modern malaise that we find ourselves in. This is what the saints of old have known for the ages. 
and they have lived too. Rachel Held Evans said this, while experience shows that vulnerability is inevitable, better embraced than resisted, believers often expect that in a, a world of danger and uncertainty, their faith ought to function as the one certain invulnerable thing, immune to disappointment, doubt, and change. But invulnerability is not what we find in the biblical witness or in the testimony of saints past and present. It is not certainty that helps us. It is rootedness, connection to something ancient. And I believe that that ache that those modern-day Parisians were longing for when they saw their Our Lady on fire could be summed up like this, a yearning for home. We all yearn for home, for a story to live in, a place to be and a people to do it with where we feel that we are at home, where we belong. And most of the damage, if not all of the damage in our lives, the dysfunction, the brokenness is when we've been kicked out of home, so to speak, and we don't feel that. I think the ache is an ache for home. I think even a burning medieval cathedral can reveal a deep yearning ache for home that is deeper and truer and sacred than anything else, maybe that we could say. Jonathan Martin says this, following Jesus for me is always a way of following my ache back to the source. My dreams like smoke signals keep calling me back home. If you've got an ache in your heart today, maybe it's a philosophical, conceptual, heady ache a conundrum, a kind of a, a malaise toward life, or it could be like a visceral, real, burning cathedral in your life, like someone has got cancer, or you have a relationship that's broken down, or you have lost your job, or whatever it may be is going on between those two, kind of this, the whole scale of it. Whatever is going on, all of it is ultimately an ache for home. And it can, like a smoke signal, as Jonathan Martin says, be an invitation to come back home, to look to the Lord, to put some roots down, to trust in God. Following Christ is about making Christ Lord. And in making Christ Lord, we find our spiritual home and our resting place. Jeremiah 6, 16. Could you put that up again, Gavin? the last line of that says this ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls never be ashamed that you're a Christian and that you go to church <laughs> you know when you kind of feel odd about that maybe because there is rest for our souls if we root ourselves in this ancient faith it is wise to do so, says Jeremiah. Wise to do so. S Psalm 62 says this, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and salvation. 
He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on the Lord. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Augustine said this, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. What I'm kind of presenting today is not like a guilt trip or that you need to find out all the answers. None of that at all. You don't have to have any of the answers. It's just nearly a well done to say, you're tethering to something older and bigger than yourself. And that is the road of wisdom, even when the answers don't add up. And ultimately, we trust that on that road, even without the answers, there is rest for our souls. We will find our way home, and we will be sustained on the way as we do the good works of the kingdom. The hope for the Christian is not found in the stories of modernity, but in the ancient and future resting place of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is before us, And it is behind us and we are in the story and we are improvising as we go to bring the grace and love of Jesus to our own lives, to our neighbors and to this world. To make our home in Christ is to embrace the wide open fields of life in God with our identities firmly rooted in our relationship to him. We cannot serve two masters, as Jesus said. We cannot serve self and Jesus at the same time. We cannot serve empire and the kingdom of God at the same time. We must drop our nets and follow him on the wise ancient path that leads us back home. Maybe like me, you're exhausted by the story of self and the non-place and not belonging, and not having home. We need new dreams. We need new ideas. Jesus calls us to that. He calls us to an alternative way of living, walking away from the death of self and soil and towards a future yet ancient way of resting and dreaming in him. Only a few chapters later in Matthew 11, Do we hear this promise from the lips of Jesus himself? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Relax and rest that you're in the story of God. And he is carrying us every step of the way. I'd love to invite John to come and to lead us in song as we come to the table. I've got a little favor to ask. I'm going to ask Benji and Courtney, would you guys be happy to serve communion to everyone? There's some grape juice behind me and there's some gluten-free bread, which are the elements for this beautiful table of Jesus that we come to, this meal of Jesus. You guys want to come up now and let's stand to our feet as we come to the table because there is no 
smoke signal, maybe perhaps more profound than this table. There's no kind of signifier of that sacred ache in us that there must be more to life than this beautiful table. This table of grace, this table of bread and wine, this table of ease, and it is open to all. As you well know, if you're part of our community, this is an open table. So if you want to come to this table and join with us in eating this meal today, you're so, so welcome. No practice orientates us more powerfully than the Eucharist, the meal given by Jesus to his followers. Because at the table, we Christians stand at the very meeting point of the ancient and the future. If you want to know where the past and the future meet, it's right here. It's right here. Where the past and the future meet is at this table. It is where who you are and who you're going to be and who God has invested in making you be come to the meeting point of grace. This is the place where ancient past and glorious future meets. And in it, we don't get answers, but we get a meal and we get sustenance for the journey. So the invitation again is to come and to celebrate the story, to celebrate the story that we're part of and consider again that you're part of the family, that you are invited back into the home that you long for, that you're tethered to something bigger than yourself and that is so freeing that your story matters and in the story that you're living in really matters and God is so interested in that. He invites you to this table to find yourself, find him, find hope, find healing and find a future. I'd love us together to practice this as we come to the table. So we're going to pray together, confess together the Apostles' Creed, a beautiful summation of our faith. Let's do this together with hope. Let's breathe in what this gives us as a firm foundation beneath our feet. And let's dream of the improvisation that we can do when we live and dance upon these truths. Let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's come to the table and celebrate the faith that we've been given. such beautiful things we're singing about and yet such full of hope and yet also so many questions but it's beautiful that God doesn't come to give us explanations he comes to give us sustenance 
He invites us to a table and to a meal. So let's pray and give thanks. And let's ask for sustenance, for nourishment for our souls today. God, we're tired and we're weary of the stories that bombard us, promising everything and delivering very little. And it's complicated and life is hard at times, but we just want to sit and rest by the stream, by the waters, in your reality, in the truth of who you are. You made us, that you've given us a story, that you're proud of us, that you restore dignity to every human. And Lord, that you don't leave us there, but you invite us into something bigger. We don't leave ourselves at the door. We bring all of ourselves to you. And in your beauty, you connect us to one another. You connect us to generations past and generations in the future. So I just pray today by your spirit that you would breathe on us. That this idea that we are connected to something bigger than ourselves, that this faith is something we don't make up, that this ache in us is a smoke signal calling us home, all of this would be so hope-giving, joy-giving, and full of rest for our weariness. Breathe on us, nourish us, tend to our, our souls, help us to find what we need in the ancient tradition, and help us to dream and to improvise into the future for the sake of our world we pray and it's in your name we pray it amen